0: Well, welcome. Morning, saints. Good morning, sinners. So we're winding down our series, our spring series, with our last God in the movie being next week, which is Father's Day. So uh, I plan to do a, uh, well, we're going to do Hacksaw Ridge. I'm just going to put it out there. And uh, also next Sunday we have water baptism as well. It is not too late for you to sign up if uh, you haven't taken this step of obedience. And I want to remind you all uh, that we have our healing school on Wednesday at 7. And uh, would really appreciate if um, you are interested in the concept. And as we talk about healing, we talk about prayer, that you would just show up for this. And our first uh, uh, was last Wednesday and we got uh, this upcoming and then two more followings. So if you have Wednesday night, join us. Luke 14 ends with, whoever has ears to hear, let him hear. And uh, I just want that to actually be a part of our prayer this morning. I want you to listen very carefully to my words. Father, I don't want us to read the Bible. I want the Bible to read us. And so, my prayer is that we might let your words penetrate and dig deep into the real deep parts of our hearts and our souls. This morning, God, I just thank you for these men and these women that are present. And I pray that in your mercy, you would come after our hearts this morning, that you would expose the deeper things and not just the surface level things. And it's for your beautiful name. I pray this in your name. Amen. Have you met somebody new? Thank you, thank you, thank you. Some of you have. Uh, after uh, after uh, next week, after Father's Day, uh, we're going to be kicking it off. Our series is actually going to be on vision, where we're going, the plans, the changes that are going to be upcoming. And uh, I want to encourage you to be on there. July, long weekend, we have Eric Samuel Tim joining us as well. And so if you want to be here for that on the long weekend, uh, you will not want to miss out. So how many of you have ever lost something? Right? Right? How many? Yeah, yeah. Am I getting an amen? Yeah, yeah.. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah you're broke. You Ever lose something? Yeah, some people know what I'm talking about, or better yet, I almost lost that. Oh, a receipt? Huh? You ever lose a receipt? Oh, oh, just wait, just wait. You ever lose your driver's license? Yeah. uh, You ever lose a kid? (laughs) My wife has. (laughs) Do you remember, dear? Every time we go to Mayfair Mall in Victoria, we relive and relive that a moment of when you lost our firstborn, our precious child, and you completely lost it in the mall. No, it doesn't matter. You lost it. That's just what it was. It was a feeling of panic, was it not? And again, at the time that we lost Josh, who we ended up finding sitting underneath a bunch of coats in a little, whatever. Uh, a child, it was a famous Michael Dunney, he, he disappeared and Victoria was on high alert and all of a sudden our child went missing and my wife was frantic. How about when you, yourself, you're out and you're, you get lost, you ever do that? Guys, we never get lost when we drive, right? We just have this innate sense of where we're going. We know we're gonna get somewhere. You know, uh, again. <laughs> Have you ever been out though alone, let's say walking through a bush, going on a hike and then like totally spun around and you don't know which way to go? How do you, how do you feel? Like you feel frantic, you 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 feel nervous, you feel scared and I I wanted to create those things, especially like even when you lose your keys or you lose your wallet, uh, or you lose your phone. I went and I, I, I went and I paid for insurance last week, or two weeks ago, right? And I had my phone, and we got in, like it closes at five. I'm one of those people who comes in. It's just before five. And of course, you're frantic. I'm frantic. Sharon's frantic. We needed to pay the bill because, you know, you don't want to pay the interest. And so we're there. And I took my phone, and it's, it's always with me. It's always in my hand, or it's always in my pocket. But we were sort of frantic. And I feel bad that they want to go home. And I left my phone on their um, desk. Of course, we walk out, they lock the doors. By the time I get home, I realize I'm talking I'm just talking like a four minute, three minute drive. By the time I get home, I realize I left my phone there. So of course, we start phoning. With another phone, of course, not the one that I left, but another one, we start phoning and uh, there's no answer. So I get in the car and I peel back to the insurance company and there I am banging on the door because, you know, they got the lights on, but I guess they're security lights and everybody's gone. I'm not surprised. It's a Saturday at five. And I look and I can see my phone. <laughs> frantic. A little nervous because it's unlocked. I use it globally. I can go everywhere. i just put a different SIM card in. Cost a bundle of money. You're scared that, well, what if somebody actually comes in and takes it and says that they never saw it? And, but we do that with our keys. We do that with our wallets. And sometimes we even do that with ourselves. Well, these are the feelings that I want you to tap into as we look at our feature film today. Because I think it will actually enhance where we're going. And today we're looking at this autobiography uh, of Saru Bri- Briarley um, as it's portrayed in the movie Lion. Now, how many of you have seen this film? Okay, the rest of you need to get off your Irans and watch this movie. All right, the idea is, is that you watch the film before you come to church. You know, your pastor's saying, watch movies before you come to church. And you can do that. I think Hacksaw Ridge is actually on Netflix. So, it, you know, hey, make, I'll make it easy for you. Now, if you haven't seen this movie, uh, you have to get out from underneath your rock. And uh, it's a must. And if you're prone to cry at watching movies, I'll just say this find the biggest box of Kleenex and have it next to you because it's a story about this cute, the cutest little five-year-old boy named Saru. Now, uh, he's separated from his family, the, the film takes place in India, and after becoming lost, uh, while working with his older brother, Gudu, all right, uh, Saru has a series of dangerous misadventures in the streets of Calcutta. Now, uh, his, his failed attempts to try to find his way home uh, to his mother, to the rest of the family, ends up with him actually being adopted and removed from the country and going to an Australian com- uh, couple by the name of the Briarley's. True story. True story. So, so again, when you're watching the movie, you got to keep that in the back of your mind. And it's all based on his own autobiography. And his adoption has some very profound repercussions. Now, um, although his life is easier as he enjoys the, a financially more comfortable house, right... Uh, The tensions arise when the Briarley's adopt a second child named Mantosh. And Mantosh obviously doesn't do well in his adaptation into Australia. And years later, um, uh, as an adult entering into college, uh, Saru begins uh, uh, recalling vivid memories. He begins to have all these different flashbacks and dreams of his life in India. And then eventually he becomes... Uh, obsessed with finding his way home. And the rest of the film then shows his struggles as he uses the new technology at the time, Google Earth, to find his way home to his small Indian village, hoping to see his birth mother and his family. But what I wanna do right now is I wanna take you to the movie, I want us to pick it up at the beginning where we're introduced to Saru and his older brother, Gudu. Uh, It's dated 1986, uh, and what if they, what they've just done they just literally have risked their life stealing coal off a moving train and they take that coal and they want to sell it to the street vendors so that they can get money for milk and then this happens watch just cute kids and of course they bring home the fruit of their bounty we're introduced to the family the father's out of the picture as you uh, if you read the autobiography he left his wife his kids it forces mum. To work at a menial job, she goes to a quarry, she breaks rocks. That's how they make ends meet. It's a great story, but it's reality. And it's interesting, as you watch this little quick clip, she questions the boys as to where they got the money for the milk, and, and we see that she's a mom. She knows that they were doing something wrong in order to get this money. She knows that. But they did it to help the family to survive. And even though they don't have uh, much in the way of wealth and possessions, what they do have much of is what mattered most, and that's love. And I think that 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 gets as evident when you see it played out on the screen. And these two brothers also had each other until one day absolutely everything changed. Saru's uh, headstrong nature is about to get him into some very serious trouble, even as a five-year-old. He forces Gudu to take him to a nearby town so that he can help do casual labor, that he can help bring in some income for the family. But as the, boy tra- the boys travel by train at night, we quickly see that Saru is, is too young to endure the physical hardships of what's about to take place. Watch. If you've ever been lost, you can feel Saru's fear. But you gotta think about it. A five-year-old boy lost in a city of millions. I can't even imagine that. And yet at the same time, so many people in our culture feel that same way. They feel lost. They feel empty. They call out with nobody responding, with nobody caring. Psalm uh, 69, verse 3, in one translation reads, it says, I'm worn out calling for help. My throat is parched. My eyes fail looking for my God. Another one puts it this way I'm exhausted from crying for help my throat is parched my eyes are swollen with weeping I'm waiting for my god to help me And it's interesting how the scriptures can actually portray the cry of the lost and chances are you've never had to survive all alone in a city of a million millions of people but many people are trying to survive in another way trying to survive Maybe for you today, it's a job that you can't stand. Maybe some of you are struggling to stay in a marriage that, that is literally just hanging on by a, a thread. Maybe other, others of you are facing a diagnosis that has you scared out of your mind. Or maybe you're facing a financial mountain that just seems too big to climb, and you're searching for anything, for an answer, for a solution, for a way out, and you call. And there's no answer. And I think sometimes we feel lost when we can't figure out why we're doing what we're doing, right? Or how we ended up, you know, working the job we're working. And what happens sometimes in those processes, a sense of drift sort of starts to take place. or, Or a sense of lostness actually settles in. And we can be surrounded by hundreds, if not thousands of people, but still feel absolutely alone. You know, perhaps you've had a plan for life, and, but the, a lack of follow-through or a few of life's hard knocks has actually changed it. And some of us know exactly what that means, right? And now what you find yourself, you're drifting, and maybe we lost our passion for life. You know, we always think we're, we're busy, right? We're busy with our jobs and other parts of our daily routines, and sometimes we're so busy, busy, busy that we're too busy to pursue anything that we're passionate about. And actually, we just get numbed in our busyness, and, and we feel incredibly bland. you know of which I speak. You know and, and if not bland, maybe we just feel lost, and it's inevitable. And one side, side effect is, is, is that we, we lose our sense of purpose. And really, when it comes down to it, then it's hard to get motivated about anything. And what do we do? Well, sometimes we look for social support. Maybe you have hobbies or sports, right? Uh, Maybe those are usually great networks, you know, for people talking over uh, specific issues, over pastimes, right? But they don't actually offer a vital connection between people who need to come to rely on one another. They're more just these surface things. And so, what happens is, though, even though we may be involved in something that we end up living our lives largely untethered uh, from others, except for maybe very specific needs. And this also contributes to this sense of isolation that is ironically growing at the same time that our social networks are exploding. We have so many people, we're involved in our phones. But we're not involved with people. And so what happens, we have, because of this stupid thing, we have a cognitive overload. And we simply have too much on our mental plates, day in and day out. And it's actually too much to even manage effectively. And we can't help but feel overloaded. And I, and I speak for myself here. And sometimes that contributes to a feeling of being all out of sorts with the responsibilities and the demands that we face endlessly. Why? Because for some of us, we then our default is usually to find a white throne and do this for hours. And we become king of our, queen of our worlds, right? But our brains don't evolve for non-stop, information-driven, consumerism-driven, technology-laden societies. But we are here nonetheless, and it actually short-circuits us. But once a day, we look at our cell phones, and I don't know about you, but once a day, I consider seriously throwing it at something, maybe oncoming traffic in a merge lane, specifically. You know, we have abundance of ways of staying connected, and and as I put this message together, I cannot help think about Kate Spade and Anthony Bourdain, right? We have a bunch of ways to stay connected at our disposal, but hyperconnection invariably leads to attention fragmentation. When we can't focus our time and energy on any one project without being distracted by our our smartphones, our emails, our news alerts, our TV, and everything else that is barreling at us. It's the spouse, it's the kids, it's the boss, it's whatever. And then it's natural to feel detached from who and what is important around us. And by now, we're well aware of the cultural obsession with fast food is leading to an obesity epidemic, is it not? But it tastes so good. And with that comes a slew of related health problems like diabetes and high blood pressure and coronary artery diseases. But it tastes so good. And it's our comfort food, is it not? And it's interesting, there's also ample evidence to suggest that the amount of saturated fat, sodium, and simple carbohydrates we're ingesting is actually taking a toll on our ability to think clearly. Isn't that interesting? And so over time, deficits in speed of thought and memory can become major contributors to feeling lost. Particularly if we look back on a time even when those abilities were so much sharper (laughs) than what they are now. And then finally, even media creates false expectations for us that we can never attain. We always seem to fall, you know, for whatever perfect and ideal representations are produced by these over opportunistic media minds. Whether it's a supermodel look like myself or the Lexus that everyone deserves to drive, right? Having waiting for them in our driveways at Christmas because that's what good parents do to their 16-year-old kids. And when we try to find ourselves trying to measure up to the fantasy and, of course, we fall short and it's actually very depressing. And, you know, if we think that that's what success looks like, then, then what am I, right? And the effect is actually so insidious in our culture, it's usually processing that question in our minds without even consciously thinking it through. And over time, those questions that we go through all the time actually leads us to feeling lost, I like the way the message translates, Psalm 69.3. It says, I'm hoarse from calling for help, bleary-eyed for, from searching the sky for God. In other words, I'm getting tired of the search. I've been searching for healing for my marriage, but we're still at odds. I'm, I'm searching to get ahead in life, but I feel like I'm falling behind, and no matter how hard I search, I, I can't find what I want. I still haven't found. <laughs> right? And some of you are here today, you're on a spiritual search without question. You've called out to God and God even seems hard to find and if I may even say he seems silent. I think that there are scores of people who are realizing that there's got to be more to life and I think that there may be some of you today who have said surely there must be a God but how do I know what to believe and if there is God, how do I even find him? So in the movie, Suru ends up on the streets of Calcutta, and here's a small boy whose language is Hindi in a city that speaks Bengali. He just wants to go home to Ganestale. He's in this strange land that's full of dangers, and it's very short on help, and as we watch, we see he escapes from the hands of traffickers and other evils that are taking place, but it also gives us an ugly insight into a nation that treats its poorest children like they're just simply cockroaches. There are those who are trying to help and they ask questions like, where do you live? Where are you going? What's your name? Are you hungry? But the best answer he could give somebody when they ask the question, what's your mother's name? He replies, mom. (laughs) Mom. And to be honest, there are frustrating and disturbing scenes that should alarm the church. Remember, it's a true story. Washington Post writes that every six minutes a child goes missing in India. More than 80,000 children are officially reported. uh, And that's just the official report missing every year. And according to that data, it's... It's released by uh, the leading children's group, BBA, and up to 10 times that number, up to 10 times that number are trafficked, according to the group. So little boys and little girls, most from poor families, you know, torn from their parents, sometimes in return for cash, forced to beg at times, or to work on farms, factories, homes, or they're sold in, marriage, or sex toys, slaves. And as Christians, we can't help but look at what James says in, in James chapter 1, verse 19 to 27. And he's calling, he's writing to the church, he's calling his readers to look back where we pick it up in verse 19. He says, my brothers and sisters, he says, take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to become angry. Because human anger does not produce the righteousness that God desires. Therefore, get rid of all moral filth and evil that is so prevalent and humbly accept the word that's planted in you, which can save you. So in other words, let's, let's clean up our own lives first, people. Clean up ourselves. And now the key, he writes, he says, Do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. I would venture to say and look at this word in a modern translation. It says, don't let the sense really overload deceive you. Don't just listen. Don't just listen. Don't just take it all in. Don't just scroll all through. Don't simply listen to the word and deceive yourself. Do what it says. The call to all Christians is to do what the scriptures say. Now, anyone who listens to the word but does not do what it says is like somebody who looks at his face in a mirror and at looking at himself goes away and immediately forgets what he looks like. But whoever looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom and continues in it, not forgetting what they've heard, but doing it, they will be blessed in what they do. So those who consider themselves religious, again, he's writing to the church, you guys, you and me, we consider ourselves religious. I'm not religious, I just like religion. No, we're religious. Let's just deal with it and own it. We are religious people. And yet do not keep a tight rein on their tongues. deceive themselves, and their religion is worthless. You know, in other words, they do all this talking. He goes on, He then he says, religion that God our Father accepts as pure and faultless is this to, what, look after orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself from being polluted. From the world. Now, I'm not going to break that down, but you can do that in your own study. There's a whole lot packed into this package. But let me reiterate verses 23 and 24. Anybody who listens to the word but does not do what it says is somebody who looks at his face in the mirror and after looking at himself, he goes away and immediately uh, forgets what he looks like. I was going to bring him today, I didn't. I was actually going to wear him, but then I thought my wife would be mad. But I have a pair of painting jeans. And it's what I wear. And so you actually thought I bought them that way. That's, so that's how stylish I am. So I got these pair of painting jeans that I wear whenever I paint. And, and I wear them in the house, obviously, or outside. But usually it's in the house. And they definitely show the wear and tear of the abuse I give them with paint. Now, I'm not very good at keeping the paint on the wall. I've realized that on my own side. So these jeans have streaks and spots and everything all over them uh, from the the Bathroom renovations and the trim and everything else. And uh, there are various colors on these, <laughs> these, these jeans as well. Uh, they display the work that I've done quite proudly, I must admit. And uh, they are actually, though, when you think about it, they are visible proof of what I have accomplished. Because I'm too cheap to hire somebody to paint my house. That's just me. But as believers, when we deal with the difficulties in our world, James is telling us that we need to have our jeans on because we need durable, practical faith instead of merely our Sunday clothes, right? They look really nice, but when you think about it, they're fragile and they're vulnerable when you put them to the test, Our genes are visible proof that our faith has been tested and and it's found real. And that as a church, we need to be prepared to get dirty. And so James calls the church to live out our faith in a very practical and real ways as we walk through this world. and That we are to look to the orphans. That we are to look to the widows in their distress. And as we align ourselves with the message of our creator. We show the reality of our relationship to the one who made us and who knows us best. And we are living in the midst of his will when we do so. And we live with our genes on. So I digressed. For weeks now, Saru was completely by himself, fighting to survive. He's hungry, he's lost, he's afraid. But remarkably, he finds his, himself on the way to Australia via, through a tr- cruel children's home. And he's adopted by these altruistic parents, Sue and John Brierley. And against all odds, against all odds, Saru is safe and placed at the heart of a loving family. Watch this encounter. Every boy finds the fridge. (laughs) Every boy finds the fridge. And one thing about adoption, every adoptive person knows is that somebody chose them. The very act of adoption requires that somebody chose you. And I think that there are Huge applications here that I want to address a little bit later. But for now, one of the greatest things about God, when you think about it, is that he chose you. He wants to adopt you. And sometimes difficult or strained relationships with our earthly parents, in fact, actually, the way that we see God, I recognize that. And we end up viewing God uh, through the, the lens of our parents. You tracking with me when I say that? But the fact is that God has chosen each and every one of us. If you turn to Ephesians, we see that he predestined us for adoption through Christ Jesus in accordance to his pleasure, his will, his pleasure, he has adopted us. And if you don't remember anything else, remember this today when you walk out of here. God chose you. God chose you. And no matter what happened to you in your past, no matter what bad choices you might have made in your life, you don't need to be weighed down with guilt, you don't need to be weighed down with shame, you don't need to be weighed down with embarrassment. No matter how lost you feel, you... If you've come to God through Jesus Christ, you've been adopted and chosen into his family. You are a child of God. We see that through all of scripture. And I want you to be reminded of that truth today, that God loves you. And maybe your earthly father, maybe your earthly mother let you down. But God the Father chooses you every day. What's a ruse 10. His Aussie family adopts a second child from the same Indian orphanage. And it's a nine-year-old boy by the name of Mantosh. Who He has a harder time coping with his emotions, obviously. As you see the movie, he's dealing with his past. He's adjusting to his new life in Australia as well. And he and struggles with inner turmoil as he tries to adapt. And the film then, fast forwards, it jumps really quick. 20 years. And then 20 years later, we find Saru, He's in college, And he begins to remember bits and pieces of his traumatic experience. But watch this. You know, he may have adapted and made himself a a life in Australia, but his childhood memories and unanswered questions are unshakable, and they keep resurfacing. He still remembers streets and faces and landscapes, and he's drawn to find out if his mother and brother are still alive, if they're still looking for him. And so he admirably and exhaustively pushes himself to discover those answers. Saru is loved. Without question, his Australian family loves him, but he also has this deep desire to find home, to find where he came from. And so with the help of his college classmates and his girlfriend, Lucy, and of course, Google Earth. You can't do anything without Google. He tries to identify the landscapes, the landmarks, the location of his childhood village. And he has vague memories of memories of a water tower, a rock quarry, the the train station. And he estimates that he's... he estimates that he spent close to 10,000 hours searching for the family that he'd lost. And so obviously 10,000 hours means that that search took years, during which time Saru wrestled with the emotional turmoil of knowing that he had a history that he, he could hold on to only by fragile threads of a, of a distant childhood memory. And he, he obsessed about the thought of this posit, poverty-stricken family in India that he missed, that he loved, and that he was certain that missed and loved him as well. He was confused about assimilating so easily into the Australian culture. And even though he he knew that he belonged in a meaningful way to another culture and another world, he, he was plagued by an inner conflict that was going on that that comes from having... Really, a loving, adoptive mother, and at the same time, believing that his birth mother was someplace far away in the vast expanses of India, he knew not where. And so he's in conflict. And at one point, it's a real pivotal point in the movie, he says to his girlfriend, he says, Do you know what it's like knowing my real brother and mother spend every day of their lives looking for me? How every day they scream my name, and I can feel their touch, and I can see their faces. Very passionate, very intense. And eventually, after years of this maddening, internet-driven search, Saru locates his childhood village through Google Earth. And there's actually a touching and very important scene in the film at at a point where Saru's search for his birth family has created such a tension between him and his adoptive parents as he struggles with questions about his own identity. Who am I? And perhaps he might be even looking for an emotional wedge to separate himself from his Australian family and knowing that his adoptive brother and his struggles have caused the family so much heartache already, he says to his mother as they meet, almost in a very passive-aggressive way, he assumed that his parents chose adoption because they were infertile. But it immediately becomes apparent that this assumption was never discussed. Watch. We chose not to have kids. We wanted the two of you. That's what we wanted. We wanted the two of you in our lives. That's what we chose. When you think about it, don't we all desire to hear those words? I chose you. You ever been on the field in sports or a gym? Some of us just absolutely hated that. Why? Because we were chose last. All right? Well, what about our relationships with people? You find the love of your life, and they chose you. They chose you. And I think that that moment is an emotional turning point in the film because Saru discovers something new about who he is, discovering that he is not and never was what he feared that he might have been, a consolation prize, so to speak, for a couple who couldn't have kids on their own. No, he was a chosen object of their love, which actually has nothing to do with fertility. That he and his brother, warts and all, were the children that his parents wanted. Out of everyone else, I chose you. And again, as we look at the scripture, we see that adoption is part of the Christian life. Adoption is a huge scriptural principle that God loved us so much that he, he sent his only son to die. For who? For who? For who? No, no, no. For who? For me. He chose You. You read the parables, Luke 15. Fantastic. The lost sheep, the lost coin, the lost son. And what do we see? Each describes something being lost. Each describes the relentless search for and the finding of that lost item. And each describes the joy and the celebration which results in the find. Jesus said in John 14, 18, he says, I will not leave you as orphans. Isn't that interesting, right? I'm not going to leave you as orphans. He goes, I'm going to come to you. What? I'm going to pursue you. I choose you. And this remark comes amid what scholars refer to as Jesus' farewell discourse in John. He shared the last supper with his disciples. He'd washed their feet. He had told them that somebody's going to betray them. And and, uh, he predicted Peter's denial. He had spoken with them about his father. He's beginning to speak about the Holy Spirit. And the truth of his identity is beginning to unfold right in front of these guys, (coughs) whether or not they can see it. And he shows his disciples who he is, and he's showing them who they are. And he's showing them who they are because he's also showing you and me who we are. I will not leave you orphaned. And I think it's easy for us to dismiss because it seems to be answering a question that maybe that we haven't asked You know, what what will become of us when, you know, you've gone is really what the disciples are probably thinking. But the answer to the question still tells us something important. And I think even if we haven't asked it, especially if we hear it in this translation, it says, I will not leave you orphaned. I will not leave you orphaned. And I suppose, like Saru, we imagine that God is stuck with us in the way that we come to him, right? He is. The assumption of the church for many centuries has been shaped by the often truthful assertion that the way that we come to God is broken, is sinful, is rotten, is depraved, is stained, is in major need of work. Good morning, sinners. And we aren't blank pages, are we? And God knows we're lost. But there's something in moving that in Jesus' promises that He He will not leave us orphaned, that He is unfolding both the past and the future, and He's revealing His divine identity, and He's telling us something about who we are and who we are to Him. And when He says that He will not leave us orphaned, He's telling us that we are the children, think about it, that God wants. We are not that consolation prize that God is stuck with because we were the last ones picked. No, 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 no. Or because something didn't work out in the Garden of Eden. No, we are the children. You are the child God wants. Some of us can't handle that. You are the child God wants. A little bit later, Jesus puts it a little bit more clearly to his friends. He says in John 15, 16, he says, you you didn't choose me. I chose you and appointed you so that you might go. So I chose you so that you might go and bear fruit. In other words, I got a plan for you. I chose you. words and all, pal. Hey, sinner. Yeah, come here. I got you. I got a plan for you to go bear fruit that will last. And so whatever you ask in my name, the Father will give you. He says, I chose you, that we are the children that God wants and has always wanted. Isn't that something nice? Isn't that something ecstatic, that I am chosen That God wants me, and though it may be that we're broken, maybe, yeah, we're rotten, and we're sinful, and we're depraved, and we're stained, and we're in need of some major work, right? But God wanted us in his life, and he chose that. He chose us. He chose you and sometimes I think we forget or we don't know that God is searching, actively searching for this relationship with each and every one of us. In Romans eight fourteen to sixteen says, "For those who are led by the Spirit of God are the children of God. If you're led by His Spirit, you're His child. The Spirit you receive does not make you slaves, so that you live in fear again. Rather, the Spirit you receive brought you." about your adoption to sonship. And by him we cry, Abba. We cry, Daddy. We cry, Father. And the Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. It's, you know it. It's there. It's connecting. When you're in connection with God, you just know it. And Christians need to see this movie because we don't fully embrace, also, the importance of physical adoption. In some cases, adoption is viewed negatively in the church. And I have to say this. Sometimes it is. The heart of this film is all about parental love, when you think about it. The love of this poor Indian mother who lost her little boy. The love of an Australian mother and father who were willing to go to bring two Indian boys into the world. All well knowing that adoption comes with great risks. You know, Christian couples who are praying about starting a family, when you suggest to them the possibility of adoption, sometimes you just get a cold reception. But there are others who gladly and warmly embrace it. But sometimes, and even in the church, we often have a mindset that a biological child is a better choice, and that adoption is either a painful alternative or a last resort. You can say amen or ouch, but that's honestly how I feel. History is pictured that you know sometimes we look at adoption and we say well it's expensive and some people automatically rule it out before asking God to provide the funds I have to take a moment to uh, give a shout out to all the families in this community who have lovingly and unselfishly opened their hearts and homes to children. And I say to you, thank you. Thank you for doing it in an unselfish manner. Because I think we forget that God chose to adopt each and every one of us. And the decision to adopt a child... Especially a child from a culture that's different than your own, is one of the most loving and generous acts any human can perform. And I say thank you. And for those of you like me who haven't adopted a child, I want to encourage you to give the families in our community an ovation. The movie Lion is valuable to all of us who have never been part of an adoption. And, and I think what happens is we become aware of the intricate lives and the realities of our friends in our community who are adopted and who have adopted children, as well as those who have had to give up their children for adoption. And the unique challenges of foster families as well are frequently overlooked and frequently underestimated. And the film's nuances bring to light the desperate need for our churches to be places of safety, places of support, places of refuge for these families and these individuals in ways that are permanently present And the ministry, and I call it a ministry of fostering and adoption and adoptive families, and the ministry that they have is really a ministry of the church universal when you think about it, to seek and to find and to incarnationally, in other words, actively love the most vulnerable among us. Back to the movie. With the blessings of his Australian family, Saru travels back to India to the town of Ganeshtale, not Ganestali. He was close, but he was five. And so he travels back to find his birth mother, who is still amazingly there. He, she stayed put, actually. She, And she had not stopped hoping that her long-lost son would someday return. And you feel the emotion with each and every step when you're watching it and your eyes are crying. I don't cry, but your eyes are crying. And uh, as he sees the memories and he makes it home to find his mom, he finds his youngest sister. And he's also informed, though, that his brother, Gadu, got killed and was probably hit by a train on the night that they were separated. Watch this. So it has this strong theme of home and longing it woven throughout the entire film. And Saru is desperately lost, obviously, as, as a boy. He's lost as a young adult. And he's still lost, and he struggles to know who he is. is. Is he Indian? Is he Australian? Is he both? Is he neither? You know, who and where is his family? Will he ever have peace? These are all questions, you know, that run. Will he ever be found? If, and if we're honest, we all know, actually, what this sort of feels like. It's, when I posted on Facebook you know, what we're going to be talking about, somebody responded, those are the questions I've been thinking about this week. And you know, maybe for some of us, we've run for years and we faked our way through life, but at the core of it, we have the same questions of meaning, of significance and of belonging. Do you belong? And we all look for signs to show us where and with whom and where home is. And, And going home is a key theme of our faith. Because ultimately, home is not about a building or a body, but it's found in God himself. And one of the sweetest parts of the movie is that Saru's mother never gave up that hope, that The God that you're searching for is actually searching for you. God, when you think about it, is searching for each and every one of us today. God is reconciling that. He's connecting. He's he's trying to bring us home. Luke 19.10 says, For the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which was lost. Remember, Saru said, I'm lost. And for God, there are no forgotten people. There is no unnoticed suffering. There is no unheard cries. You don't have to be an orphan to be lost or to even go missing. And I've known people who have gone missing in plain sight as their lives have just become so pained or broken that they just can't even keep it together. And whether you've lost yourself in your job or uh, your relationships or your role as a parent or you simply feel lost in general, you're not alone. You're not alone. And it doesn't mean that your life is doomed and that you'll never find yourself again. Because we live in a world that buys and sells everything from weapons to children. And if you can't find a way to fit into the marketplace, you, you may become easily lost and discarded and forgotten. And we live in a world that often doesn't consider, though, when you think about it, the stable in Bethlehem or a green hill outside Jerusalem to have anything to do with its own personal history with its past, with its story, with its heritage, and estranged from God. Many of us, we don't see ourselves as runaways, but we see ourselves freed from the clutches of a controlling church whose narrative at times is sometimes that primarily of shame and guilt and not of love and acceptance. The band could come up. You know, who am I after all to say that any of you are broken and sinful and rotten and depraved and stained or in need of major work? You acknowledge it every Sunday morning when we gather together. At least the majority of you do. I still need to know, though, that we do have saints in our audience. I just need you to know that. And these are not judgments to make because, in many times, in many ways, I believe them to be true of myself. And certainly I know that there are times where I've been lost without any idea of which way is home. But I hear Jesus speaking to his disciples and I know he's speaking to me and I know that he is speaking to you today that he says i'm not going to leave you orphaned and i believe that when he says this that he smiles and he's still holding off his tears and i hear him say i hear him say we wanted you in our lives we chose that and we discover that as children of god we're not consolation prizes we're not the last pick we're not second best we are when you think about it when we come to jesus we are The children that he wanted. The children that God has always wanted. The chosen objects of his love. And the beautiful thing is that nothing will ever separate us from that love. And each of us here this morning has something that we're searching for. And we want peace and we want healing, right? We want a new job, a relationship. Maybe you want restoration. Maybe there's just this longing in our hearts. Something's just not connecting. The key is not to give up. And don't let anything discourage you to quit because every year, it's interesting, that Saru celebrates his birthday on May 22nd, not because that was the day he was born, but that was the day he was found. And perhaps today, for you to be found by the God who has been searching for you needs to be your birthday. Proverbs 18, or 8, 17 says, I love those who love me and those who seek me find me. The good news is when you seek God, you will find God. I want to close this way today. How are we doing for time? Oh, I'm earlier. Wow, surprise! I'm going to ask our prayer teams to go to the crosses. I'm going to ask you to stand with me. We didn't have prayer at communion because we're going to do it now. So, this is more of a general call, not a very specific, but general. So if you need prayer, every Sunday, we can give you the opportunity to pray. If you want prayer, you desire prayer, whatever it is, whatever's on your heart, whatever is pressing, whatever that need is, I'm going to invite you, as the band starts playing, to move to the crosses and let our prayer team pray for you. If you feel an orphaned and lost, If you're feeling that it's time, maybe you want to make a commitment to Christ, I want you to tell the people at the cross that are going to pray for you. So you go there, you tell them your name, tell them what specifically to pray for. And if you're feeling lost, tell them, I just feel lost. And allow them to pray for you. And maybe, maybe for you today, it's just making a decision of inviting Christ into your life. Allow them to pray with you in this process. Now, I'm going to ask you to close with your coffee song. So it's not your typical altar call song, is it? But I'm gonna, as they sing, if you're going to carry on any conversation, I'm going to ask that you just take it straight outside. Is that fair? And let some work be done at our crosses today, because God is calling people. Father, my prayer is that you would stir up our hearts towards you and If we feel lost, may we experience the embrace of your arms to know that we are home. And I pray that you would create in us this deep longing to know you, to worship you, to exalt you, to love you, and to honor you. So help us, Lord, help us, because we need you. Give us eyes to see. Give us ears to hear, is my prayer. And in ancient times, the one who blessed extended his hands for a blessing. Those receiving a blessing did likewise. If you want a blessing before you go, here it is. As you go from here, remember this soul sanctuary. Because of the work of the Holy Spirit within us, we are sons and daughters of God. Can you say, I am a son or daughter of God? I am a son of God. We have been adopted into his family. God is truly our father. And if we are God's children, we are his heirs and fellow heirs with Christ. So, so sanctuary, as you leave this place, go in peace, go in confidence, knowing that the love of God, our father, the grace of Jesus Christ, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit goes with you. Amen. If you want prayer, please move to the crosses right now. Go ahead, Jess.